Hi, I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and on this episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason, we're joined by Chris Peterson. He's a University of Utah law professor, and he's a Democratic candidate for Utah governor, which by any measure is a tall order in this state. <laughs> so thank you, Chris, for joining us this morning. Hey, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much, Jason and Amy. So Chris, uh, we love to get to know uh, candidates. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Well, uh, uh, you know, I'm a fifth generation Utahan. Uh, my great great grandfather uh, led a wagon train of 1,500 people uh, to the, uh, the Salt Lake Valley in 1847, uh, and uh, wow. yeah, yeah. My, my great great grandfather was John Taylor. He he uh, uh, was a you know faith leader and one of the first chairman of Zion's Bank and a, a public school superintendent and speaker of the House of Representatives. But, uh, you know, I, 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 my, my own life experiences were pretty far removed from that. You know, my mom uh, grew up in a single parent family and my mom has, you know, serious disease and was disabled when I was a kid. And I grew up in West Valley City with very limited income and, uh, uh, you know, worked hard as, as a kid. I got my first job picking up trash on the side of the road when I was about 10 or 11 years old and uh, put my way through college. And, and somewhere along the way, decided I wanted to pursue public public service and teaching and try to make the world a better place. And I've been doing it ever since. So what in the world would possess you to want to run for governor? <laughs> or or any, have you held any elected office? Well, I, I, I've never ran for public office, elected office before, but, but I have I have been in and around politics and government, government, you know, service. I, I worked uh, for the, the new Consumer Financial Protection Bureau for a number of years. That's the agency that um, uh, they set up after the financial crisis to try to make sure that our credit cards and mortgages and uh, uh, checking and, and savings accounts are safe and transparent. I helped set up that agency uh, and and in particular, it helped take on uh, financial institutions and, and debt collection agencies that had been acting illegally, taking advantage of their customers. Quite proud that, uh, you know, after we put that together, uh, uh, we managed to return about $12 billion in refunds and restitution to consumers all across America, about 10% of the, the adult population of our country, uh, for, uh, you know, people who, who had suffered from, from violations of the law. I'm a law and order guy, and, but I, but I want to make sure that, that our laws work for people and, and are taking care of ordinary working families. Uh, I also worked at the Department of Defense. Uh, they recruited me to come and help them uh, take care of our active duty military service members in the same respect, make sure that our service members are not getting ripped off in their financial services. So spend some time doing that. So, I, I, you know, I, I, people, people say, have you been in public office? Well, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I've represented the, the Pentagon in negotiations with the White House. I, I'm, I, I'm hoping that that counts, uh, but I have <laughs> I haven't had my name on the ballot before. And so why now? Well, you know, I think when I look at, at what, what's happening in our country, I'm worried about the, the way that our politics is becoming so divisive and, and frankly, poisonous. Uh, and, and I'm worried that we're not doing enough to make sure that the next generation that's coming up here in, in Utah in particular has the same kind of opportunities that, that I did and that our, our, our parents and grandparents had. I, I worry that we're not investing in public education. I worry that we, we're not building the businesses and job opportunities of the future that we're going to need to thrive. And frankly, I think I can make a difference. I think that we need to have balance in our politics. Too often, 
politicians in our state are no longer listening to the public. And I think that, that we need to have a substantive uh, uh, campaign this season that talks about the issues and makes progress in our state. And I, I believe in that. I care about uh, people. And that's why I'm running for office. So when you think about this, I mean, you, you've grown up here, so I'm not telling you anything new. Uh, before uh, Governor Matheson, uh, Utah had been kind of a back and forth, you know, Republican and Democrat uh, state, honestly. And But since then, it's it's been pretty solidly Republican. I, I imagine you understand the, the, the hurdle you have to, to jump over here. How do you think you can manage that so that people take your candidacy, candidacy seriously and give you an opportunity at least to be heard? Well, it is an uphill climb. I, I don't. I, I'm not naive about that. But uh, the the challenge that I think that my opponents, uh, my opponent has, is that uh, the voters of Utah are now not as conservative as the elected representatives are, and we've seen that. We've seen proof that Democratic issues can win. In the last election, we we had three ballot measures that passed: uh, a Medicaid expansion, uh, a, 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 a authorizing prescription, uh, you know, doctor prescribed medical marijuana and a better boundaries initiative to try to stop gerrymandering and promote fair elections. All three of those passed, but the state legislature and the governor's office, the previous and, and the current administration uh, immediately re repealed and replaced those laws that the, that the voters adopted and, and with watered down versions. Uh, and, and right after that, they tried to increase taxes on food over overwhelming opposition from the public. I am on the right side of all four of those issues, and my opponent is on the wrong side of all those issues politically. So it, there are the votes. If folks will focus on substantive issues, I believe I can win this race. And, and, and the fact that we've already won uh, uh, on ballot measures just in the, in the last two years, I think, shows that we have a real chance. So when I look at your candidacy, I think to myself, I mean, obviously, you're a smart man. Uh, you and your wife both have legal careers, and, and it seems as though you, you have a pretty good handle on at least some of the issues that uh, just the average Utah or, uh, would face. This, this, I guess this was the average American, even if you just say it that way. But uh, it, sometimes people don't use logic in how they vote. And I don't, I don't mean that in any kind of uh, funny way. I mean, the idea is it's how people feel often is, is what um, you know gets them to uh, the ballot box or, in this case, mail in their ballot, how do you reach those people who may recognize that they, they do kind of a, uh, your uh, stance on the issues may appeal to them, but because you're not in their party, it, it, it may be a, a bit of a leap for them to risk their vote for you. Well, I certainly understand that, that people have to make an emotional connection, but Utahns are often smart enough and decent enough people if they get the chance and, and, and to cross over on party lines. We've had some independent, moderate Democrats that have been successful uh, right now. I mean, I, you know, Ben McAdams is a uh, representative McAdams is a friend and, and somebody I really look up to uh, uh, before him, Jim Matheson. And several other uh, uh, politicians going further back. They're all, of course, running in in a congressional district. But that congressional district is not that different than the overall makeup of the state. You know what? What I think we need is 
to have a, a good, healthy conversation. And I believe that if people get to know me and get to know my fantastic Lieutenant Governor running mate, Karina Brown from Cache County up in near Logan, uh, she's such a wonderful person. Uh, and I think that if people give us a chance, they're going to start to warm up to us. I mean, that's what I'm hoping. And, you know, I've already explained that I'm as much a, a homegrown candidate as anybody in this race. It's it's, it's pretty hard to be more homegrown and, and authentically Utah than I am. People sometimes wonder, well, why why are you in the Democratic Party then? I suppose maybe it's because you know I, I grew up with limited means or or or, or, or you know whatnot. But I, I just I just believe that over looking over in the deep history of the Democratic Party, they tended to look out for working people, for the little guy and gal, uh, to make sure that that you know try to do the best that they can to give people opportunities to succeed. And and that's that's the thing that's most near and dear to my heart. You know, folks out there that are struggling in the coronavirus crisis, a lot of people are unemployed. We have a serious homelessness problem in many parts of our state. I care deeply about those issues. And I think if people give me a chance, they're going to warm up to me. Chris, I, I'm loving hearing what, you, what you're talking about. We have to uh, cut off for this segment. We'll come back and talk to you some more. We're speaking today with Chris Peterson. He is the Democratic candidate for Utah governor. You're listening to Voices of Reason. We are back with Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And on this episode, we're speaking with uh, Chris Peterson. He is a University of Utah law professor, and he's also the Democratic candidate for Utah governor. And uh, in the intro, uh, Chris, you talked a, l- a bit about kind of who you are, uh, being a, a fifth-generation Utah, and, and some of the things that you feel make you a really good candidate uh, to be the next governor. I wanted to ask you, on uh, starting this out, uh, what are some of the issues besides the ones you've uh, uh, talked about uh, thus far what do you think are the top issues that face our state and uh, the, the citizens of Utah? Well, t- top issues. I, the first one I'm going to have to go to is education then, because I, I believe that, you know, we, we've been dead last in per pupil funding in our public schools for uh, uh, generations now. And part of that's because, you know, we have a lot of kids in Utah. I've got three kids and they're all going to public school and we, we love kids here. It's part of our culture. But, but with that blessing, we have responsibilities. Each of these children uh, that are going through our public school system deserves the kind of opportunities in education that they would get anywhere else in the country. And uh, we're just not getting the job done. I'm going to fight to make sure that our public schools have the resources they need. Did you know that one in four children in fourth grade in our state cannot read? That, to me, is a striking uh, problem. It's something that, that I'm going to work to try to correct if I'm elected governor. So the coronavirus issues have complicated education, and they've, I think, highlighted some of the inequities. Um, it ha- has, it, has the virus or the shutdown, has that illuminated any issues for you? Has it shown you that we need to do better in certain areas? Like, what have you learned about the educational issues from this coronavirus crisis? 
Well, one thing I think we're learning is how uh, it's reminding us how important schools are and how much schools are doing to facilitate not just uh, teaching kids, but but child care uh, to allow parents to get out and work, which are critical to the overall health of our economy. Uh, I, I agree that it's highlighting inequities, but to, to my mind, what it's highlighting even more than that is just the overall lack of sufficient resources. Right, right now, teachers are, are struggling to try to prepare to not only uh, uh, teach in person, but also to teach online or some combination of the two. And they just don't have the resources to get the job done. There, there, there aren't enough teachers. There aren't enough assistants. There aren't enough school guidance counselors, nurses uh, to, to, to try to deal with this, this crisis. And look, I'm, I'm a fiscal conservative. I believe in balanced budgets. Uh, I believe in uh, you know, good government more than small or large government. But if, it's, if, if possible, small government is better. Uh, but, you know, our, our school system is so cut down to the bone that we don't really have the, the resources to overcome and adapt to this type of challenge in the way that's best for our kids. So we've got to do a better job recruiting and retaining top teachers. We've got to make sure that they have the classroom resources that they need. Uh, we've got to make sure that we're, we're spotting special challenges that different children have. We also... I find it very troubling, have one of the very highest teen suicide rates in, in, in the country. I believe that that problem is not entirely unconnected from the fact that we don't have sufficient resources to uh, provide guidance and, and mentoring to our kids in the public school system. And the coronavirus crisis is only making all of this worse. So when you say that, I mean, I, I, I recognize that all of what you say is true, right? But how do you, as a governor, how do you convince the legislature that they need to, uh, without raising taxes, obviously, uh, kind of redirect some of the money they're using in some places more toward the, uh, the issues that you just raised with regard to education. Well, look, what, why is that a foregone conclusion that, that we shouldn't raise some additional revenue for our kids? You know, I have polling, internal polling for our campaign that says that uh, a large, a fairly large majority of Utahns support uh, paying a little more on in income taxes, provided that they're convinced that the resources are going to be spent wisely and that they're going to go directly into public education. So to my mind, the challenge is not necessarily getting additional revenue. It's convincing the public that we're going to spend it well. Uh, and, and then, in fact, actually doing a good job of that. You know, and, I, and just to be clear, uh, in my view, the worst education policy that we have seen in the past 20 years was the decision to convert our income tax, which is earmarked in our state constitution. Our pioneer ancestors said all the income taxes go to public education. Well, when we went from a, a progressive to a flat income tax, what that meant was that our, our, our most wealthy uh, uh, citizens had a massive tax decrease in some of our low lowest income and moderate income citizens had to start paying higher taxes. And, and, and overall, the amount of revenue declined significantly, and we're just falling further and further behind in funding our public schools. You know, I believe, and, and this is not coming from some, you know, wild-eyed liberal law professor place. It comes from the Bible. I'm quoting the Bible here nearly enough. It says, to whom more is given, a little bit more needs to be expected. And I believe, you know, that we need to expect a little bit more. I'm not saying we want to return to the, the seven. 70, 60 percent 
marginal tax rates for highest income earners that we saw back during the Republican Eisenhower administration at the federal level. But right now, does it make sense for somebody who's making a million dollars a year to pay, you know, an extra half a percentage or another percentage point on their state income taxes to try to give back to the kids to make sure that we can spot teen suicide risk and make sure fourth graders can learn to read? Yeah, it does make sense. That's civilized. That's what a decent society does. That's the kind of thing that I would be pressing the state legislature to do. So, Chris, a lot of what you've talked about, and I think when I talk to my teacher friends, it's that they're asked to do so much. And I think schools have become this catch-all. You've talked about a lot of societal issues that I think we could address that would make schools, uh, that would take some of the pressure off of teachers or administrators, and maybe they could focus more on teaching reading or teaching, uh, you know, the basic subjects. Because I think that without... um, affordable housing and without enough food to eat and without, I mean, if kids come to school and they don't have secure housing and enough food to eat, or they're suffering from mental health problems that their parents can't address because they don't have access to that through the healthcare system. I think those all bleed into the school system. And just like we had this issue with in law enforcement as well, it seems like some, uh, some of our institutions are being overburdened with social problems that we could solve outside of the school. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Well, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, you know, with both police officers and with public schools, as you say, we have a lot of side projects that are outside the core mission of those institutions that are distracting from the the, the core thing that those institutions need to get done. Uh, but, you know, w- one of the challenges is that we want to have low taxes in the state. And I agree with that. I want to do everything I can to keep taxes low. But we, we also uh, want services. We want, you know, the police to try to deal with things like mental health challenges and uh, drug addiction. We want our schools to deal with uh, making sure kids have enough to eat. They're giving not just lunch but also breakfasts, and they're, they're dealing with, uh, you know, a whole host of different challenges that each each child may be facing. So I, I think, I think you know, it starts with just having good government and making sure that we're allocating our resources well, uh, that we're building up our families and other non-government institutions to try to deal with some of these challenges. Uh, I, I think that also I'm a little disappointed with you know, just one of the, the challenges that you mentioned. Uh, we are not grappling with our homelessness problem that we have here in the state of Utah that's growing. And I'm, I, I worry that it's going to become more and more like what we see in, in California, in New York, in Seattle, uh, as our state grows. Uh, my opponent in the race was the, the, the uh, chairman of the, the uh, homelessness task force in the state. Uh, but the, you know, we didn't get a lot done. Frankly, we've just moved homeless people around to different areas. If you go through Salt Lake City, our capital city, there are homeless encampments all over the city. And increasingly, they don't have the resources to even do things like go to the bathroom safely. We're, we're not grappling with some of these challenges. I believe it's because our political system has become a bit stagnant. We need some. We need a breath of fresh air. Uh, uh, take take a, a new look at some of these challenges and start one by one making progress on each of them. We're we're having a conversation today with Chris Peterson. He is a U of U law professor and Democratic candidate for Utah governor. And uh, he's got a lot of interesting ideas on issues that have been facing our community for a very long time. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason.
We are back with uh, the Vo Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. And today we're joined by Democratic candidate for governor and U University of Utah law professor Chris Peterson. And Chris, uh, I wanted to ask you a little bit. You've done some work in Washington, D.C. Uh, with the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. Uh, and how, do you, how would you use that experience, uh, being in, uh, on a large national scale, to help residents and citizens of Utah? Sure. Well, I mean, first off, uh, you got promoted a number of times and ended up working very near the top of that agency. Um, uh, and working on a, in a big federal agency gives you a lot of perspective about how to manage uh, complicated government work, which is not quite like, uh, you know, anything else. It's not quite the same as business. It's not, you know, it's 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 not all intuitive. And I, and I managed to see, um, you know, somebody who's really a top top level federal talent doing that in a very political environment where, um, you know, every, the, the microscope is on everything that you do. So I have some experience at, at managing large agencies, and, and I'm proud of how we did at that. We, we managed to return $12 billion in refunds and restitution to the country. We, we helped uh, helped reform our mortgage lending market. It was, it was tough. There was a lot of growing pains. But today, even with the coronavirus crisis, uh, our mortgage market has better, more simple, safer rules than we had before the financial crash in 2008. And, and, you know, that kind of problem solving, practical work running an agency is the same kind of approach that I would bring to administering the government uh, uh, here in Utah, uh, trying to build, build teams and coalitions, trying to identify problems and practical solutions and work through law and, and existing political reality to get things done for the public. Uh, uh, and, and always bearing in mind that the most important thing is to keep in mind that, that we need to do things for ordinary people across the state that don't have a voice in backroom meetings, don't have lobbyists that are trying to represent their interests, uh, and are relying on the government to do that for them. You know, that's exactly the kind of thing that I think we need a little bit more of here in the state of Utah. So, Chris, what do you say to people who say we don't need um, more regulation, we need less? I think that what we need is not more or less regulation. What we need is to get rid of uh, uh, silly regulations that don't help uh, and promote smart regulations that do. You know, we have a lot of regulations that people interact with in, a, in their daily lives that people are pretty comfortable with. Like everyone is okay with let's not have drunk driving. Uh, you can't run stop signs and traffic lights because they know that that it's gonna it's gonna kill people. That there are some that are a little bit more marginal on that. What about uh, you know do we need uh, uh, side impact airbags uh, in the back seats of cars? Well, that's a little tougher question. I think a lot of people are going to say yes, and some people will say, nah, that should be optional. Uh, and identifying those issues, where where it is that we invest the time and energy of, of our society, that's the critical thing. And I actually think that's one of my real strengths. As, as, a, as, a, as an attorney and, 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 and a teacher, I've spent years trying to figure out which regulations actually help businesses, which regulations are actually getting in the way and not 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 doing any good for anyone and striking the right balance between those two things. Overall, I'm as anti red tape and regulation as anyone. Uh, uh, and I want to keep our, our regulations focused on doing the right thing for the public, for businesses to make our economy move forward. So I, I, I believe that uh, you know, that's actually where Utah needs to go. You mentioned uh, in 
uh, when we talked a little bit offline that you also have some, uh, I guess, very uh, strong feelings about how uh, predatory lending and those kinds of issues uh, as it relates to uh, consumer finance. Uh, what, what kinds of things would you like to tackle if you were governor here in uh, Utah? Well, first off, I, I, I do uh, uh, believe that that our banks and credit unions here in Utah are doing a good job most of the time. You know, people need to have access to financial services, checking accounts and banking accounts and need mortgage loans. And and I, I'm going to be a friend to, to, to you know, community banks and credit unions and, and that are doing a good job by their customers and small businesses. But I do believe in Utah, we've let things get a bit out of hand in some aspects of the financial services market. You know, we have more payday loan companies across the state than we have fast food uh, uh, locations. Is that true? And, and that's true. That's a fact. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people don't realize how high those interest rates are. Average interest rates on payday loans in the state are, are you know, over 400 percent. New York City uh, loan sharking syndicates back during the height of the mob's power, they charged on average about 250 percent. So those payday loan stores all along State Street and Redwood Road through Salt Lake County and many other places all across the state, including a lot of rural counties in the state, are, are charging higher interest rates than the mob charged, and, and they're very aggressive about uh, collecting them. I believe that they are counterproductive for our moderate and low-income families because people get in debt traps and they start paying on a treadmill. The interest rates are so high that, that you just keep making interest payments and none of the money actually goes to reduce the principal. And all of those resources are resources that we need to be investing at the household level in, our, in the well-being of kids, making sure they have nutritious food, making sure they have educational opportunities and, and enrichment in their lives, and making sure they've got a roof over their head. I, I, I you know, for the vast majority of Utah history, we did not allow payday loans. They, they were they were they violated a, what's called a usury law, an interest rate cap. Uh, and and I believe that I'm actually the more traditional conservative candidate in, in that respect. That I, I believe we need to have some reasonable speed limits, just like we talked about a moment ago in our consumer finance markets. For the vast majority of borrowers and, and businesses, it's not it wouldn't really affect them because. You know, look, credit cards, you would say what you will about them. They, you know, they do provide some options to borrow. But when you get up into these triple digit interest rates, you're doing more harm than good. Uh, you're taking advantage of people. Uh, just like uh, in the Bible, Jesus got after the money changers. Look, we, we have some similar problems to that here in the state of Utah. But we're not taking we're not taking care of that problem because they spend so much on lobbying. They're in the back pocket of politicians all throughout this state. So I, I think we need Need to make progress on that. Uh, and I, I believe that I, I'd be a useful and a welcome perspective that most Utahns are going to agree with. Hey, Chris, switching gears a little bit, what do you think of some of the, some of the social justice movements that are sort of taken hold during this pandemic? Well, uh, right now we've got a lot of division in our in our state and in our country, and it, it breaks my heart that we're having such a hard time getting along with one another and having trust. On the one hand, uh, there are a lot of citizens and, and, and especially some uh, people of color, black residents that, that feel like they're being mistreated by the police uh, and are upset about it. And on the other hand, uh, the police feel uh, like they're not being appreciated and that they have incredibly difficult jobs and are being asked to do too much. I see some of the perspective of both sides. You know, I, I want to make 
make sure that our police officers are professional, uh, courteous, uh, and use force only as an absolute last resort, and that they have the support and training that they need to get the, the job done in, in a professional and decent way. Uh, on the other hand, I, I also am appreciative of law enforcement. I know they have very difficult jobs and they keep us safe. Who who do you call in the, in the dark of night when uh, uh, you're vulnerable or threatened? We need safety and, and, and law and order in our society. And I, I, so I, I want to try to find opportunities for us to compromise and, and, and make progress on that both sides can agree with. I think we need to tone down some of the rhetoric. Uh, one, one thing I will say is that I don't support, um, you know, destruction of property or, or rioting. That's never been that's not been my career. Honestly. Well, I, I, exactly. Um, and, and I think that's that, that to be said, though, it's a really a very small portion of, of protesters that are engaged in those kind of activities. Um, uh, so, look, I, I think we need to turn the volume down. We need to find compromises that both sides can believe in. When we come back, I want to. I'm, I'm actually. I got a couple of things I'd like to talk to you about regarding the, what we just talked about on, in protesting. Uh, we are speaking today with the Democratic candidate for Utah Governor and Utah University of Utah Law Professor Chris Peterson. When we come back, we'll continue our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Back with Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Today we're speaking with Chris Peterson. He is a Utah Democratic uh, candidate for uh, governor and a University of Utah law professor. And uh, in the last segment, uh, Chris, we talked a bit about kind of the social justice movement. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I feel as though gets kind of misrepresented. And, and you mentioned this, and, 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 and you're right. Nobody, uh, nobody is supportive. Well, few people are, if that any brains in their head, are supportive of violence or rioting and all of that. But as as a as an African American man, I have heard that trope many times, and the reason I call it a trope is because, you know, for for decades, uh, the civil rights movement was nonviolent, and the violence was actually literally instigated by the police. And when I when I watch it today, it's not necessarily the same. Totally, anyway. Even though in New York, I did watch New York police officers in marked cars drive over New York citizens. I um I feel as though to take a to denigrate the message of social justice, there are those critics who would say that they, they like protests as long as it's done the right way, as long as there's no violence. When in actuality, uh, violence in protests, especially in, even in Salt Lake, where I was there on the first day of the protest, and so was Amy, I, I was actually in the spot where they turned over the man's uh, that had the bow and arrow and turned his car over and set it on fire. Other than that, all those protests were pretty peaceful. And even leading up to what's been happening in Cottonwood Heights, where these in, in suburbia, where the, the police are trying to uh, set a tone that says what happened in Salt Lake can't happen here. You know, that 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 kind of mentality is the kind of mentality that that, that starts uh, the, the uh, contentiousness and potentially uh, instigates violence. As a candidate, what would you uh, what would be your stance to help people uh, be able to have their voice? but yet have the police operate in a manner that doesn't uh, inflame uh, kind of emotions. 
Well, Jason, first thing that I want to say to you is that I know and, and I want you to hear me say that I believe black lives matter. And we all know that white lives matter and police lives matter. I everyone. care about all those people, everyone. But, but uh, you know, African-Americans, black people have faced special challenges in our country from slavery, the Jim Crow laws, the civil rights movement, uh, all the way up till today. And I recognize those problems and care about you and want to do what we can to make a better society that's more inclusive and more consistent with our founding goal of a more perfect union. So I care about you, Jason. I want you to know that. I also, you know, I don't, and I don't, I, I agree with you. The amount of violence in, in our protests here in Utah has been very, very small. But one of the challenges I'm facing is, you know, pe people, because I, I've decided to join the Democratic Party, every day people are saying, well, you support violence and you support protests and you're an anarchist and you're, a, I'm a communist, a fascist and an anarchist all at the same time. And hey, hey I just need to let everybody know, I don't, I don't support violent protests. I support peaceful protests uh, uh, and I support, uh, uh, you know, finding common ground to care for one another, both, both protesters and, and, and people who feel victimized and are in some instances victimized by police, as well as the police themselves to find uh, that more perfect union that we're talking about. So with regard to what's happened locally, uh, you know, do you, do you, is there a way to kind of get people to at least recognize that there is uh, a way to, our, our voice, America was founded on protest, essentially. That's what uh, the Boston Tea Party was. It's the American Revolution. So how, how do you get folks to understand that you can have those things, free speech, uh, you know, have your voice heard and still, you know, be uh, in a society that is, you know, uh, law abiding and, 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 and is what, what we've all aspired to. Well, this, this kind of conversation we're having right now is the right kind of conversation to have. We, we need to keep having dialogue. We need to keep communicating with each other. And I'm great. Personally, I am grateful to the folks that are raising this issue by marching in the street. I've seen some of them go down the street and they've got music on and they're dancing and they're trying to raise awareness and petition our government for reforms. And that's there's nothing that's more American than that. So I'm supportive of them. We need to keep having a, a conversation. And, and we are making some progress. You know, in Salt Lake City, uh, uh, Mayor Mendenhall has uh, announced a change in some policies. It sounds like, you know, some, some folks on the left didn't think it went far enough. Some folks on the right uh, felt like it went too far. Uh, we're, we're making progress. I think we, we need more of that at the State House. Uh, one thing I'd focus on is making sure that we take a hard look at the police officer standards for training, the post standards, to make sure that we're doing everything that we can to root out implicit bias, uh, conflict de-escalation. We need to keep track of, if, if we do have police officers that are bad apples, uh, that, that we're not just shuffling them between different uh, uh, different police forces. If you've got a track record of being violent in inappropriate ways, look, the state can't can't put a badge on you and, 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 and go out and let you victimize folks. And I think most police officers are going to agree with that. I'd also say, too, you know, we ask so much of our police officers. And I, one thing I learned talking with the, the Fraternal Order of Police president is that they have very limited support after they see horrible things, terrible crime scenes, you know, children killed. Uh, there's not resources there to help our police officers deal with the mental and emotional trauma that they go through in their day to day jobs. And we need to make sure that we're providing them the support that they need. So when they go out and are on the beat, that they can do so with clear eyes and open hearts heart and an open mind to protect and serve like they want to do and, and we need them to do. 
Hey, Chris, um, as the daughter of a police officer and the sister of a police officer, I know that's true that they definitely need more um, resources, support resources, but I think education, educational resources are also something that um, are long overdue, I guess, for, probably for all of us. Um, I did I did want to shift gears a little bit now, though, and talk about um, can, before are, we leave, yeah. can I, I just want to point out, I agree with that. See, yeah. people say, I want to defund the police. Couldn't be, nothing could be further from the truth. You know, there was an educational uh, uh, incentive program that Karen Maine, a, a, a mm -hmm. senator, a Democrat yeah. senator from West Valley sponsored. And it was my uh, friends on the Republican side of the aisle that defunded that particular pro support program for police. Which would but, have been but, awesome, by the way. <laughs> um, so, so what are you learning from people as you are campaign? It's a weird time to campaign. You can't do that handshaking, baby kissing that we have all come to know and love. What, what are you doing? You know, how are you handling the campaign duties, I guess? And then also, like, what are you learning from the people that you're talking to? Well, the first thing I'm hand doing to handle my campaign duties is to do it safely. I I'm proud that so far not a single member of my staff or, or myself or Karina have, have managed to contract the coronavirus. I, I refuse to take less than the best full measure of protection for people. We're trying to, if, if we have events in person, I insist that everybody tries to wear masks and we do it socially distantly and preferably outside. Um, what am I learning? I I'm, I'm learning that uh, Utahns are actually a lot closer than we than and it appears in social media and some 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 of our press. You know, people people across the state are decent. They care about each other, and so often it's the voices of dissent, the most aggressive voices, that get held up and have the loudest platforms. But ordinary Utahns care about one another and want to have practical solutions that are in the public interest. And I believe that's the kind of thing our campaign is focused on. And, and if we can get to people, if we can get our message out there, it's going to resonate. What's your favorite book? Well, that's a tough question for me. I, I love books. I read all the time. Um, uh, you know, the, the I don't know that it's my favorite book, but it's the one that pops straight into mind. Sure. I've been reading um, uh, uh, a, a biography of Ulysses Grant, the, the great Ooh. general and, uh, and also a great president. Uh, part of the reason I was reading him is he, in some ways he was an underdog, uh, uh, came into the war, uh, got promoted by President Lincoln because other generals weren't getting the job done. And he managed to grind out that war with some incredibly crank, uh, creative flanking maneuvers and, and, and saved the Union, went on to be, I think, an underrated president. Um, so I, I guess I've been maybe that's been resonating for me because I, I'm, I feel like I'm in a bit of a, a, a long slog of a campaign <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and I'm, I'm dealing with people who have more resources uh, and I'm trying to, to frankly, in my own way, do, do the same thing, save, save our state from what I believe are some really negative things that are happening. And I'm trying to do it uh, uh, with decency, integrity uh, and grit. And so, yeah, that's the that's the book that comes to mind. Hey, Chris, what has there been an experience you've had or a challenge that you face in your life that sort of shaped you or put you on the path that you're on today? Well, growing up, it, it, you know, with very limited income in, in West Valley City is pro probably the thing that 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 people were recognized. You know, I, I also, when I was a young man graduating from college, I decided I was going to travel around the world. I wanted to see Siberia and the Sahara Desert. I did that, but I had to take a bunch of jobs to save up the money, waiting tables. And I took a job as a telephone bill collector when I was, you know, this is obviously 20, that 25 years ago. That made you really popular, ago. I'm sure. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it was, and I, I thought I knew a little bit of something about poverty, but, but seeing, uh, and we collected payday loan bills, payday loans, which is part of why I, I care so much about that issue. Uh, and I, I, night after night, it was stories like, I'm 25, my husband left me, I, I don't have enough money to put gas in the car, and, and, and this poor, these, these, these poor women, these moms would break down weeping, and I'd have to explain to them that if they didn't give us fifty, hundred dollars in interest payments that don't even decrease the debt, that we go and sue them and go garnish their wages and maybe even take their car. I, I, I realized then that we need to have safety rules and decency and civility in our society or it causes corrosion in our families and in our lives. We need to find the things that are trapping and hurting people and stop it. And, and that's that's what I've spent my whole career trying to do, try to take care of people and make our society a better, more humane place. Last question, and I got to give you only a minute. Uh, why should people vote for you? People should vote for me because it's time for change. You know, in the last election, we had three ballot measures that passed that were all very reasonable. Uh, uh, prescription prescri- Doctor prescribed marijuana, uh, a Medicaid expansion to get the federal tax dollars that we'd already paid, uh, and, and also uh, better political boundaries for fair elections. And, you know, immediately our, our politicians, including the, the previous administration, rewrote those rules and watered them down. You know, it's the public that should get to decide these issues. If you elect me, I'm going to be looking out for ordinary working families, trying to have them, help them get good paying jobs, make sure that they have a voice in government and make sure that it's not backroom deals, the privileged people who have access to lobbyists and insider information about what's happening in, in, in caucus meetings that control our government. I'm going to be an advocate for you. I'll listen to the public and try to make positive, reasonable change through teamwork in our society. Hey, listen, thank you very much, and uh, Chris Peterson, for joining us today, and best of luck uh, in this campaign. Thank hey, you. Thank, thank you, Jason and Amy. It's such an honor to be on your podcast. Join us again for the next episode of the Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about the show, please contact us via email at bormed at gmail.com or at brjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at AD on Sports and at Jason Lee One. Our show's Twitter handle is at VOR Podcast. Check out our Facebook page, and uh, you can uh, find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast in all the places where you find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well, because we love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Along with Amy Donaldson, until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason. Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.